Bible's got you tied in knots if you're burdened with religious thoughts. Come grab a drink and join the choir. It's Heretic Happy Hour. You know it is. It is time for the Heretic Happy Hour, and we are so very glad you are here with us for this amazing episode. We are deep, deep into our Conspiracy Theories uh, series. Oh, yeah, baby. All will be revealed in this episode. Hey, how you doing? So my name is Keith Giles. Um, I'm one of four hosts here on the Heretic Happy Hour. I'm the author of several books, including the most recently released, Jesus Unexpected, Ending the End Times to Become the Second Coming. And it's available now on Amazon. And um, yeah, I'm joined by Katie, Derek, and Matt. Say howdy. Howdy, everyone. This is Katie. I am recording from an undisclosed location on this conspiracy theory podcast. And I'm the author of Sex, Slavery, and Self-Control and looking forward to exploring all of these theories with my fellow unnamed co-host. And this is Derek. I'm recording live from the mothership. Pete Funk. Oh, yeah. Put a little slide in your glide, a little dip in your hip. I'm the author of Deconstructing Religion, and I'm a professional ass kicker. I thought I thought you were a professional asshole. I decided to change it up a little bit. Okay, good. I love good, that. good. I love it. And this this would make me Matt DiStefano. And I want everyone right now to hit pause and I'll go over to my new podcast, Apostates Anonymous, because I already, everyone shut up. Everyone shut up. I already covered what we're talking about today. So go listen to that show and you're welcome. (laughs) What the hell? You covered it well. I found it very helpful prep. Well, good. I'm glad you, I got one listener. Great. Uh, I'll endorse, I'll endorse this. Yes. All right. And and pretty pretty soon me and Katie Valentine, we're going to break off and do our own shit because... Just because it's the mothership bunker locations. That, that's We're right. Have fun. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Keep listening to this show. Cause it's better than mine. Yeah, it is. You know that. Oh, shut up. Yeah, of course. Uh, all right, Derek, do we have a hotline for, for you to announce? Yeah, you absolutely know we do, man. And listen, if you guys want to get in touch with us, want to leave us a message or just, you know, shout out, you can do that by exercising finger dexterity and dialing two, four, zero. 343-7379. Once again, it's 240-343-7379. And roll that voicemail. Hey, guys. Justin here. Um, I'm calling just to thank you for um, the work that you guys, gals, are doing. Um, it means a lot to me. I went through a, faith, a change in my faith about a year and a half ago. And as part of that journey, I've been able to draw closer to my brother, who left the Christian faith many years ago, uh, but I think in many ways wanted a way back, or at least thought there may be something different. And it wasn't until he and I started listening to you guys together um, that that started to open up for him. So, um, anyway, you're doing great things, so keep it up. Thanks, bye. Oh, wow. Well, that was awesome. Justin, thank you. Man, thank you for taking time. just to send us a little message there on the on the hotline and let us know that uh, what we're doing makes a difference uh, in your life. And uh, that's awesome. It's beautiful. I love getting messages like that. It, it does make it uh, even more fulfilling, I think, for all of us to be a part of what we're doing here. We have a lot of fun, but we also recognize that what we're doing is bringing some people some hope and light. And um, 
So yeah, it's good to hear it. Thank you so much. That was really fun to listen to. Yeah, thank you so much for calling. I love it that you're having new, uh, you know, new opportunities for these deep conversations and hopefully some new language to talk to talk to your brother. Yeah, about all this stuff. Yeah, Justin, we really appreciate you, brother. Um, thank you for calling in. And I'll tell you something: with all that we do and all that we say, and um, we have all been lightning rods for this. The, on this theological journey and for, for someone to show us that kind of love is, is just really, really appreciated. Yeah, for sure. Cool. I agree. I agree with all of that. Thank you. Awesome. So with that wonderful, wonderful voicemail, let's go ahead and turn to our heretic of the week. It's the heretic of the week. Hi, I'm Rita. And I used to think I was a heretic. Hi, Rita. Rita, welcome to the Heretic of the Week segment. And tell us a little bit about yourself and why in the world people would call you a heretic. Well, um, I was born in Japan and came to the United States when I was six, uh, but I was raised in a Buddhist family till I was six. And when I came to the United States, Christianity didn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, uh so I, I I eventually got baptized in a Baptist church because I wanted to be part of the minister's community. But um, this whole idea that D- Jesus died for my sins and I was a really horrible person that caused it just didn't land on me. Uh, so uh, when I got to college, I got a whole different picture of who Jesus might be in Bible classes. Um, and that's the first time Christianity started to make sense to me as a revolutionary movement against oppression rather than as some kind of sacrificial thing for me as a bad person. So I just never actually bought the whole idea of the atonement or original sin. This didn't make sense to me. I remember once when I was 12, this revival preacher tried to, you know, like get me saved. And I remember sitting there listening to him go on and on about hell. And I thought, you know, I don't think I'm that bad. (laughs) <laughs> I just I just refused to be saved. I thought I didn't think I was perfect, but I didn't think I was this miserable worm. So it just never it never took with me. And um so when I got to college, I thought, oh, there's another way to think about being Christian, but there was just so much atonement theology around and Jesus like you had to declare that Jesus was your personal Lord and Savior. Um, and, uh, that stuff didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And then I discovered feminism right after college. And so I went off to seminary, a radical feminist, which also made me allergic to the idea of a male savior. Um, Mm -hmm. so, so there were a whole lot of reasons why I (laughs) thought I was a heretic. Like I was a, a feminist that didn't think women needed saving by, through a male person, um, and that this male person died for me didn't make any sense at all because I didn't think I was so bad that I deserved what he got. Um, so, so I sort of took a different turn and, um, thought I was going to do Buddhist Christian dialogue for my PhD program because I was kind of interested in existentialism and Buddhism as a sort of interesting pair um, in a Buddhist Christian dialogue format. But um, I got persuaded by one of my professors to tackle this question of who the hell is Jesus after all. It's a Christology question. Um, and I wound up writing on how he... he um, 
he he is not our savior. He um, love is not something an individual person possesses. It's a relationship. So he was an instrument of creating love in a community, but he wasn't the savior of it um, in that sense of him taking everything on and doing it all by himself. So, so all that, the, there was just a lot of that that made me pretty convinced that I was way outside the Christian tradition of anything orthodox. Um, so that's why I thought I was a heretic. Well, you just—it sounded to me like you just needed to read Augustine to uh, get you get you right on all that worm I stuff. I thought I had him in graduate school. I just thought he was a morose sex addict. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you 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 obviously need a little John Calvin in your life. Yeah, <laughs> no one needs that. No one needs that. Yeah. So when I when I first met Rita, um, I think it was my second Sunday in Berkeley, and I went to this church, and she happened to be giving the sermon, and kind of blew me away with some of these ideas condensed into a thirty minute sermon. I have no idea what the text was about of uh, one of the feeding stories in the New Testament. So it was a great introduction to Berkeley and arriving to grad school. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I. The thing was, I, I studied a lot of Bible in college because it was fascinating to me, and it still fascinates me. I mean, I I, I still um, like preaching from the lectionary to try to unpack a text, um, but but I don't, you know, have the idea that it's is some kind of holy writ that you can't disagree with or struggle with, um, like any great literature. Um, but, uh, but I, because it's my tradition, I feel like it compels me to grapple with it in a way that if I don't want to read a book, even if it's a classic, it's no cost to me. Um, but because it's my tradition, I feel compelled to take the Bible more seriously than a lot of other things, but I don't think it's like the word of God in that sense that it's always true. Right. So you say talking about taking it seriously, but Probably not necessarily literally. Yeah. Oh no, yeah. I I was actually baptized into a fundamentalist Baptist church in high school, and the minister was my friend till he died. He was a great guy, and I just wanted to be a member of his church because his daughter and I were best friends, and he was a really great minister. But we argued all the time about evolution because I didn't believe in creationism. Mm-hmm. So, and but he but the thing I learned was that even though he was a fundamentalist and thought I was wrong. It, it for him it didn't affect my being able to be saved. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's that's no oh, wow, nice. Yeah, refreshing. Yeah, and it sounds like grad school or, or college and and sort of giving a framework of theology, like the larger world of theology, gave you a container. Yeah. Well, explore. science. You know what? It was interesting. It's yeah. Eighth grade. I was on a mil- I was in Launchville, Germany, on a military base, and some of the people who wind up teaching at military schools are kind of interest. They're not traditional public school teachers. Often, they're a little bit adventuresome or offbeat. And I had a science teacher named Mr. Scheiberg who loved to talk about evolution and used, like he used Disney classical music films to teach stuff. And I mean, he was a really unusual science teacher. So I loved his science classes. And so of course I believed everything Mr. Scheiberg taught me, but his wife was my Sunday school teacher. And so Mrs. Scheiberg did the lessons. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she wasn't a literalist at all. She would, she, I think she taught it as story. And I remember I embarrassed her because one Sunday she was teaching about the circumcised and not circumcised. That was some kind of text in the new Testament, you know, that fight about the Gentiles. 
And I, I love I, that you were talking about circumcision and penises in your Sunday school class. Yes, That's early on. That's well, wonderful. well, uh, it was interesting because it's eighth grade class, and I actually knew the biology of circumcision because my dad was a medic and my mom was a nurse, so I knew what circumcision was. And I remember being totally puzzled by this conversation we were having in a Sunday school class because I thought. I must not understand what circumcision is as something spiritual because I couldn't imagine she was talking about penises. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> totally reasonable <laughs> Penis. Penis. <laughs> right. Like, no, I, you know, I'm like, what, what does she mean by, sir? What is it like? So I finally said, what does circumcision mean? And she blushed and said, right. well, it's when they cut the foreskin off of, you know, she explained it off of a baby's penis. And I said, no, I know that. But what does it mean in the Bible? <laughs> <laughs> it can't mean that in the Bible. Okay. Exactly. I, I got to say this. I'm completely blown away because, I, I listen, I've talked to people about theological subjects, I mean, for the last 20 years. But what's amazing uh, what, what, what's amazing to me, Rita, is that you seem to have come from this. I mean, basically, you had a a singularity from the beginning. You know, it, it's like a, a lot of us, we, we kind of go through this evolution. You know, we, we start off, you know, all nice sweetness and light, and then we dive deep into legalism, and, and then we're rescued from that. But what, what I'm hearing from you and I have to admit, I mean, in, in just this, these few minutes that we've been talking, I am a complete fanboy. I mean, I'm just, I'm completely blown away because basically you have never been in the box to get out of the box. That's what it sounds yeah. like to me. And, and, and it's just absolutely, uh, God, I'm, my, my soul is overjoyed right now. I'm just, I'm sorry. I think it's only because I called Augustina Moreau sex addict and then talked about circumcision. <laughs> well, I mean, you had me a penis, but, you know. <laughs> well, you know, it is, it is interesting, Rita, because it's like, yeah, it's sort of like you were immune somehow. You came over here and yeah. you were... You were exposed to all the same crap we were, even as a child, and yet it just rolled right off of your back, whereas the rest of us just swallowed it hook, line, and sinker. Yeah. Yeah. You you know, you grew up with this in this military family, and I can imagine some formative years, and now you're doing this soul repair work with the Volunteers of America. You're working on moral injury, and I know I've read your book, Proverbs of Ashes, which preceded some of that, which is an amazing read for anyone (laughs) who... um, who feels inclined to learn why even more deeply why penal substitutionary atonement doesn't work. Wonderful book for that. But yeah. Could you tell us a little bit about the moral trauma work you do and like what, what that even is? I imagine this yeah. is going to resonate at a deep level. Yeah. So uh, I got into this work because I was an anti-war activist, which is interesting. Um, and, I, and I ran across this idea of moral injury. And um, a major essay was published in 2009, and I got to see it before it got published. And um, and what it is, is that that here, the essay doesn't put it this way, but here's how I would put it uh, in terms of why I was so captivated by the idea, is that moral injury um, posits or actually uh, claim. I mean, this is the. I'm mean, gonna have to tell you this. A psychiatrist saying this, not a theologian, but as a theologian, I resonated with it. They're they're claiming we're born moral, 
In other words, we're not born sinful. We are born moral because it's so essential to love to be moral that, that it just so defines who we are as human beings that everyone has a moral conscience. And so um, moral injury is when you face a life context or situation um, or event that um, is so devastating that you lose that sense of being a moral person. So it can be going to war and having to kill, which is you know, in the veteran space that a lot of the stuff the military asks them to do can cause it. But you, it could be, I, I have a friend who was um, in a car accident as a teenager and he'd been drinking and he wound up killing someone. He's never gotten over that. Mm. So it can be, it can happen. Um, it, that's an, it, just an instance bad judgment. But it can it can just define you know become a defining feature of your life, um, so it's more it's like you have a moral trauma, and if you um, don't resolve it, if you don't work it through, um, it can lead you to despair, to cynicism, to suicide. Mm. Uh, and so, um, so I, as I said to Katie one time, I don't believe in original sin, but I think there's early original trauma that can wreck people's lives. Yeah like being violently abused, like being yeah. sexually abused, um, or like being in a really terrible situation when you're a kid and you have to steal food, or you do, do you do things you know are wrong to survive a bad condition? What an amazing way to rethink sin. Yeah. And it's, and it's stuff you do, but it's also stuff done to you. Right. It's what's done to you. Yeah. yeah. It's both. It's like, and in fact, most people, when it's done to them, especially if it's your parents doing this to you. I, I used to work with high school kids. So there, there would be abuse that would, would just be shocking. And yet you, you would have someone say, but I know my dad loves me, so I was bad. Right. Right. Um, because it's actually preferable to believe you're a terrible person than to believe you're, you aren't loved. Sure. Mm. That, wow. Oh, my gosh. How, I, I wonder, how do you... How how does that uh, that that trauma? Um, because you have a unique perspective on on faith. Yeah. And how how does that um, un- unpacking this moral trauma in a in a religious context? I mean, um, how how do you see people uh, emerging from that, or 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 dealing from that, or healing from that? It it, it actually takes uh, a person who's not going to judge who can hear what they're carrying and all the pain behind it and not be afraid of that pain, but to sit with them with them and to listen and to believe and validate their experience. And once they can start beginning to talk about it uh, and they can, and, and unload some of the pain that's been driving that trauma um, in them, uh, then the processing, they begin to be able to, understand that underneath um, the trauma of moral injury is that conscience that's demanding to be heard. And, mm. and it's that, that's, that sense of conscience that's our sense of agency in the world as well. And to reclaim that and t- then to find a, a way to understand a system of morality that can integrate what happened to you. So recovery from moral injury is not like instant. It's a long, slow process of figuring these things out. Um, so, and I think the theological question of theodicy is, is a, 
a key moral injury question. Mm. Mm. So, so it, and this is also, this is the psychological research on moral injury. The more harsh and judgmental and punishing your idea of a higher power is, the harder it is to recover from moral injury. Mm -hmm. It's such a hard thing to unlearn. Yeah. Too. It gets embedded so, so deeply. So deeply. That's right. That's right. Um, I, there's one vet in this, this film about veteran moral injury called Almost Sunrise, who um, figured out that the, the, the root of his moral injury, uh, I mean, there was a lot of stuff that happened in the war to him in Iraq, but the thing that he, that, and, and he was able to process some of it, but there was something he wasn't quite able to identify inside himself that was making him miserable. And it turned out he was not religious, but he'd been raised Catholic. And in a, actually in a power yoga uh, thing for veterans, a healing power yoga thing, it finally came up for him what, what he was miserable about. And he was miserable because he was furious at God for allowing his best friend to die in battle. Mm. So in this unreligious person was this idea of a God who just basically let either let his friend die or it was like he was he had ordained that he was going to die and he was furious with that god and he finally realized that he had to forgive god before he could forgive himself wow yeah you know one of the things that i've seen is like when when uh, young men and women come back from uh from war they come back from afghanistan they come back, come back from iraq and 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 it's hard to to turn off what had to be turned on over there in in order to uh, because yeah. basically the military at it, at its most essential is designed to kill people and break things so when you when you have people that they do that and and this is the switch that's been turned on and then they have to come back home and they have to turn that off and 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 deal with normal society so how yeah it's, I, 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 I guess, think it's a little yeah. more complicated than that because you don't have to even have been in battle you could have been a medic or a supply clerk and have moral injury. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. it, it's not, it's not quite as simple as, well, if you go and you kill, then you, then you have it. Um, it's also, uh, this is something I've learned working a lot with people in the military and veterans. It isn't that the military turns you into somebody who just has to kill all the time and break things. It's that it's not like that. It's that it's like um, this this uh, journalist who wrote the, a book on moral injury in the because he was embedded with Marine Corps. He he says the military doesn't turn people into killers. Uh, you can teach people to shoot a gun and and they just go crazy. He said in the military, they teach you how to how to be incredibly effective with a weapon, and then they teach you to stop shooting when you want to shoot. That. That you have to mm. obey orders, and you and there are laws and rules around killing, and you you're not a killer, you're a soldier, and it's a different thing. And so there's an incredible discipline in the way that the military teaches people to be um, combat soldiers or Marines or whatever. And um, and it so uh, that isn't actually necessarily something they turn on or off. It's just a discipline they learn, but. Um, What's difficult, I think, I mean, unless they're, they're like a little bit uh, out of kilter, um, but uh, what, what's hard when you leave the military, there's several things that are hard. Um, one is that, yeah, you have this training and it's not useful for much else. Um, and it's very intense and it's driven by pressure. 
um, and it's it's a group ethos. So suddenly you're dumped on the street all by yourself, and you have to learn how to function in a society where people are never on time, and um, and they say they're going to do things and then they don't do them, and they don't they don't keep their commitments. They can't meet deadlines. They don't have a sense of purpose. Um, and all they are into is they're mad at their parents for not paying their phone bill or something. So the, the sense of the trivialness of consumer culture and individual success that dominates civilian societies for a lot of veterans is such a, a foreign planet that they feel like they landed from Mars because they're used to having a mission, a sense of purpose and a team. Um, and that's the hardest, that's one of the hardest things. And then of course, if you were in the military and you did your job, you might even get a medal for killing and people will high five mm-hmm. you and buy you beers. So you, that may, it may not sink into you that, that that was necessarily something to regret or feel bad about. But as you sort of come back into civilian society and you realize nobody's going to understand your experience and then you start rethinking it and you wonder, well, what moral human being gets a medal for killing. And so you can then you can go down a pretty deep vortex of moral injury as you rethink your military experience. Yeah. So the moral injury is amplified by the loss of community. Yep. Yep. It's one of the biggest pieces of suffering and moral injury is feeling totally isolated and self-isolating because you're so ashamed of who you are. You don't want anybody to know who you are. This has such parallels to people who are coming out of um, toxic church environments. Yep. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I don't know if that qualifies oh, yeah. as moral injury, but certainly as trauma. It does. It does. You were betrayed by a tradition. Um, I mm. actually, I actually have this, like someday when, when this, uh, we can meet to, with people again, I have this thought that, that um, to, to write a grant to, to, to form moral injury processing groups or people who are spiritual but not religious need a community but would never go back to church but need to figure out how they can trust other people enough again to have a real commitment to what we would call a church community but probably wouldn't look anything like what we have now but i think that there's a deep hunger for that in people who have walked away because they've been betrayed by traditions or there is also like second generation from immigrant families where the theology of those churches and the language of them don't work for them anymore. So they're also alienated from their roots, but not so much because of bad theology, although that may be part of it. Um, But they, but the white liberal church doesn't work for them either. So, so there's a whole lot of people floating around in the group, the fastest growing group in the country, which is spiritual, but not religious or nuns that I think would benefit from thinking more uh, carefully about their hurts. Mm. Um, that the, the sense of, of betrayal or outrage, that's a, that's a sign of moral injury because it's a, it's a moral response to some harm done. If it's not to you directly, it's to your gay and lesbian friends or whatever. And it, and it's, it, it's infuriating. Yeah. Uh, do you know, do you know who Dr. Marlene Winnell is? No. Who is that? Um, yeah, I, I just ran across her probably about a year or so ago. Uh-huh. Uh, she kind of coined the term religious trauma syndrome. It's uh-huh. very similar to what we're talking about. And, yeah. and um, she's a, a psychologist um, and really started identifying exactly the kind of thing you're talking about. Yeah. But 
but connected to people who had been raised in fundamental Christian homes and experienced what she termed religious trauma syndrome when they started questioning their beliefs, when they went to college, for example, and they started saying, well, maybe the Bible isn't uh, inerrant and infallible, and maybe Mm -hmm. uh, Noah's Ark isn't, uh, you know, a documentary and uh, all those kind of things. And um, then she said, you know, it's not, it's not like finding out when you're a kid, there's no tooth fairy. Uh, Because some people assume, she said a lot of psychologists will assume that, oh, yeah, get over it. It's not a big deal. She said, no, for for people that go through this who start questioning their faith and doubting the the Christianity they grew up with in various ways, they experience, uh, you know, it's your whole reality turns upside down, right? Yeah. This is the way you thought the world, the universe worked. This is the way you, who you thought God was and who you are. Um, Your identity now has been, you know. Your core, your core character is challenged. And that's yeah. one of the things that that one of the early thinkers about moral injury made a case for. And I think this is so important that in the world of psychology, it's always been believed that if you had good parents, your character is set for life. And if you have psychological problems as an adult, it's because your parents didn't toilet train you right or they were mean to you or whatever, that you had bad parents and they, and they mal-shaped you from the time you were a child. So my friend, Mac Bika, who went to Vietnam as a, uh, in the Marine Corps because his best friend died there and he decided he had to go because he couldn't face his friend's parents. And so he had, he had to defer him as a school teacher. Well, he went in as a Marine captain and came out totally wrecked. And he went to the VA for help. And they basically tried to convince him that his mom hadn't potty trained him correctly. Hmm. And he was furious. And he, and he left and he started doing his own counseling with vets. And he just rejected that whole awful stuff. And so this other this psychiatrist who spent 20 years working with Vietnam era vets says, you can have a perfectly good human being, good character, does everything right got a lot of courage, is idealistic and caring, and just a great person. And you can put them into a situation so bad their character's wrecked. Yeah. Mm. And an example was Achilles in the Iliad. Yeah. So, so, the, so this is a... I'm trying a, to remember my Achilles story. <laughs> Achilles was a great leader soldier, and he won a prize that was this woman. Oh, right, right. Because he was such a noble and good soldier as a leader. And the king decided he wanted the woman instead and, and stole his prize. Now, there are gender issues that you have to unpack here, but, but, the, sure. right, but, but the fact that the king basically disrespected him and slapped him in the face made him go berserk mm. in rage and he and his character just fell apart so so that he used that as an example um and there are plenty of other examples from from people who uh just couldn't pull their sense of who they were back together enough to function and um and it's a it, moral injury is not a minor thing but it is the thing i keep saying is it's not a clinical condition. It's not a psychiatric disorder. It means you have a working conscience. It's just mad at you. Hmm. Well, and I'm also thinking too of the implications about of personal relationships with moral injury, yeah. with moral trauma, with people who stay in abusive relationships because they have this idea that they are a worm, that they, you know, they have to endure suffering like Jesus endured suffering and how liberatory um, this could be for people who are recovering and when they can see themselves as a recipient of trauma, you know, mm-hmm. who's, and they're unable to sort of, it's, it's really hard to negotiate that space right when you're in it. Yeah. 
right? And so, yeah, it takes that safe, non-judgmental, loving um, spaciousness yeah. to be able to yeah. start to make other choices. Right. Well, and the reason, you know, I said at the beginning, I used to think I was a heretic and I don't think I am anymore. It's because when I did my Christology, I, it was all about the way the Holy, it sort of was a Holy Spirit Christology. It was like, it's what connects us all together in love that makes love real. Um, it's not one person who hands it out like candy. Um, and the fact that he left this legacy that a, a movement that survived him was a testimony to his, his success. Um, but that it's not, it's not a, a good thing that he was tortured and murdered and basically lynched. Um, mm-hmm. That that mm-hmm. is a thing the church mourns, not celebrates for. And that makes Good Friday very ambiguous if you have to be glad that Jesus went through such a terrible process, right? Wow. It's yes. a really icky moral yes. confusion because it also absolves the people who did the evil from any responsibility because they were doing God's will. Yes. So all of that is really morally compromising. How can you have a moral compass when you get handed that load of mess, right? Wow. So, so there's that. Well, so then I, the, uh, my friend Rebecca Parker and I both have this problem with atoma theology, and we, we wrote a, a Proverbs of Ashes to critique it and say there's another way. But that was a, you know, a memoir book, and we realized we had to make this the scholarly case. We had to do enough research to show that this was not the only form of Christianity that was possible, because everybody thinks that is Christianity, and right. There were there was a 19th century Baptist preacher named Hosea Ballou that went around saying the atonement is the worst idea ever and that it did more harm to Christianity than all its despisers combined. Hmm. So we weren't alone in thinking this, but we went back to I, I don't remember how we got all into it, but we we what what drove our original. Uh, um, curiosity about early church stuff was we discovered that there's not an image of the crucifixion of Jesus dead on a cross for the first thousand years of Christianity in any church, right? Yes. So it's like, yes. Why, if that was so important, isn't it there? It's everywhere now. You just see these gory, bloody, awful looking things. So we started researching and and what we discovered was to believe that people are born blessed and that the best thing God wants is a human being fully alive and flourishing, not suffering. Mm. Um, that that Jesus didn't come to die for us. He came to show us what life lived in the Holy Spirit looks like as a community that cares for the sick and feeds the hungry and teaches the yes. ignorant and celebrates the gr- abundant feast of life every week in the Eucharist, which is hosted by the risen Christ and has nothing to do with his crucifixion. All of that... Is just flat out Orthodox Christianity. Wow, it's for not that, it's not heretical that. at all. Thank you. In fact, the atonement really didn't emerge as a major doctrine. There were a few early church fathers that kind of had an atonement theology, and they were also very anti-Jewish, which tells you something. Mm. Um, but the theology really came with the Crusades as war propaganda. That's what the atonement is meant to be. It's early Goebbels. <laughs> yeah, well, it's actually it comes with Charlemagne. It was a it was a terror campaign against the Saxons, but but it but it didn't take hold. There was a two hundred year dispute about it, and eventually it became heretical not to believe in the atonement and the dead body on the table that you were eating. Mm. This, this necrophiliac thing that Mary Daly criticizes. Um, so all of that is late. It's a it's a it's a thousand years into Christian history. Half our history, people would have been shocked at that idea. 
Mm-hmm. So, so I figure that's the heresy. Yeah, love it. Yeah, there you go. I'm Orthodox now. <laughs> <laughs> We've come full circle. You got it, ladies and gentlemen. You've got it. Uh, so, Rita, I just want to ask you: How can our listeners connect with you? How can they get your material? How can they reach out to you? How can they hear from you and learn more from you? Because this is absolutely fantastic. Well, they can. I mean. I'm not doing a lot of theology. I'm actually implementing moral injury programs at Volunteers of America. I actually left academia, so I actually help people instead of just teach about helping people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, mm-hmm. so, but I am at my, my email is rbrock at voa.org and my Shea Moral Injury Center there has a, a website and you can sign up for newsletters uh, and, and updates on events. We, once we can all get together again, we'll start having our conferences and things that we've been doing. Um, and, uh, and, and, and once I'm on the road again, speaking, we'll start posting stuff there right now, or I'm just working on online programs for medical caregivers with moral injury. We're trying to set up a program to help, um, people who've been basically in a battlefield called the U S hospitals. Mm. Yeah, and what, and one more time, mm-hmm. what's the website? Um, V O a volunteers of America, V O a.org. And Perfect. if you just do a backslash moral injury, you'll find me there. Cool. Um, Perfect. And volunteers is not people who don't get paid. <laughs> <laughs> volunteers is people who choose to do things rather than being yeah. uh, forced. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. There you go. Well, thank thank you so much awesome. for, for spending some time with us. And I'm sure uh, I want to encourage the listeners to go check that stuff out because uh, it's it's going to be helpful. And I, and I know people are going to resonate with this. So thank you. Yeah. And I just want to say that the book in which we describe how we're, Rebecca and I describe how orthodox we are, um, is called Saving Paradise. So there's Saving Paradise and uh, the precursor to that is Proverbs of Ashes. Yeah. Saving Paradise is, well, if you don't believe in the atonement, what can you believe? Um, And the early church believed that when you were baptized, you were baptized into the Garden of Eden. Mm. Oh, I love that. Oh, that's beautiful. So yeah, Yeah. no original sin there. Nope. I love it. That's beautiful. Yeah. Well, Rita, again, thank you so much for being our guest, uh, yeah. being our heretic and, of the and week. And I want to say Augustine is not a morose sex addict. He called the world a smiling place. <laughs> <laughs> Even Augustine could be redeemed. Hallelujah. Don't email us about that. Yes. People. Don't email. Again. I, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Was that smile orgasmic? I wonder. <laughs> uh, well... No, he thought sex was like a handshake in heaven. No lust involved. <laughs> None at all. Oh, wow. <laughs> all right. But he at least thought there was sex in heaven. That's one thing. Some people yeah. don't think that. I'm going to have to pull out a dusty volume tonight and get to reading. <laughs> okay. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks, Rita. Thank you so much for being sure. our guest. Yeah, my pleasure. Oh, yeah. Wow. That was awesome. Rita, man. Thank you so much. It was amazing to have Rita on the show. I've known her for such a long time and just a true pleasure and joy to hear her, all of her theological insights. And she's just so smart. Yep. And just very, very transparent. And and uh, it may not have been about that, but uh, it's sometimes you got to make an abrupt left. And that's what we're going to do with today's topic. We're in the midst of the conspiracy theory uh, series. And today is all about QAnon, 5G, COVID-19. <laughs> Shit is getting real. And, this isn't uh, just a hard left. It's like a left, a right, and up, a down. Well, what, whatever <laughs> it is, it's going to get real. 
in about five seconds. Yeah, that was a zig and a uh. zag and a <laughs> motherfucking zag. <laughs> oh man. So, um, guys, I, I, this is this, unlike the Sasquatch episode and the alien abduction moon landing episodes. I really, I know a little bit about 5G and I have a few friends who totally buy into the whole COVID is, is a hoax thing. But like the QAnon thing, I know very little about it. So, you know what? I guess I'm going to, I'm here to learn. You guys help me understand this. What are these conspiracy theories about? Uh, what's it what's it all about and why are they true or false <laughs> i'm with with keith i'm also on a little bit of a learning curve with some of these because anytime we get into contemporary government stuff i can sometimes get a little bit itchy but i do have my chart open and i'm eager to fill it in with where we land on all of these so we're keeping our record of our individual beliefs around these conspiracy theories well, I'm going to throw this in. I am a software engineer by profession, and I work with 5G shit every day. And so I got a thing or two to say about that. Well, do you, is that, you want to start with 5G and then we'll go to QAnon after? Yeah, you know the truth. Derek, you know the truth. What? Tell us you're in a deep you're, state conspiracy. You're on the inside, my, my man. Let me first tell you that 5G, do you guys remember back when we had old school TV? You know, channels no, two no. through thirteen. Come on, no, Keith. No. At least you know. <laughs> at least Keith. I, mean, I still, I still have one of those. Tinfoil on the antenna. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God! Just speaking of tinfoil. I use VHS. I have VHS. I have. Uh, I still get my discs from uh, from Netflix. Okay. Oh, the mail. Right on. <laughs> no, the fuck you don't. <laughs> you have a VCR too, Keith. I do. I really do. I'll show you a picture. <laughs> But do you watch porn on VCR? That's the that's the. <laughs> I don't watch porn at all. So. Uh, no, here here's the deal. Five G is basically a repurposing of the band, the frequency bandwidth that was once occupied by VHF television, right? So so basically, in terms of the the uh, the frequency that that tra- or the um the, yeah the the frequency that travels through the air, it, it's really no different than what we have with VHF t- uh, television. So if that was causing cancer and causing COVID and, you know, causing all of these other maladies and that this is something that can secretly spy on everything, uh, you know, basically that technology was there. The only difference is, is that this, this particular frequency spectrum is able to handle more digital bandwidth. And so that means that you get faster internet speeds. It's like the equivalent of going from a two lane highway to an eight lane interstate. That's basically the, 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 the easiest way of looking at it. And what this is enabling is there is a technology that's called IoT or Internet of Things. And basically, it allows things to be connected that ordinarily wouldn't be. Like, for example, there are smart refrigerators now that will tell you when you're low on butter and tell you when, you know, and basically it can all be connected. So it's connected to your Amazon Prime so that when you run low on butter, Amazon ships you some butter. Isn't that neat? That's technology. That's all it is. It's a way of, of of simplifying and accelerating the technologies that we already have. But but the con- so, but the conspiracy though is that it's uh, I mean currently the conspiracy is that it's given you what we're calling COVID, right? Right. So 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 well, basically what you're saying then is is that an electronic frequency can either cause or stimulate a viral infection. Which there is nothing in 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 medical science 
that supports that theory. Well, of course not. I mean, it's like basically everything that that um, that comes out in support of that train of thought is something that's from some crackpot website, some YouTuber that that uh, that wears a lab coat or some crazy shit like that. Basically, if you look at um, uh, the uh, the medical community, uh, the technological community, all of the all of the uh, basic uh, scientific communities that would be involved in this, all of them call bullshit on it. Now, of course, that's where the conspiracy comes in because, you know, somebody's hiding something. But the reality is, is that in this particular case, this is something that makes life better. Eventually, we're going to get to the point where you don't have to have a, 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 a cable or a router in your home. 5G is going to accommodate all of that, and you'll just be able to tap into it wherever you are. Wait, you're telling it's, me I can one day get rid of Comcast? Exactly. Oh, oh praise Jesus. Right. Yeah, for me, it's Cox, and it's the same thing. Yeah. Well, I, what, what, what's funny is that is that when COVID started, um, there were a bunch of countries that don't have 5G that were having a lot of cases, and I always found that funny because if, if, if 5G was supposedly causing COVID-like symptoms, which obviously, like you just said, Derek, there's no evidence, there's no medical evidence of that, I just thought it was funny that all these people had COVID in countries that 5G was not available yet. Is there another yeah. conspiracy with 5G other than re- relationship to COVID? Oh, well, yeah, like uh, spying, uh, you know, basically spying on people, the uh, the ability to look into people's homes and facial recognition and all of these things. Let me tell you something. Um, in, in England, you can't go anywhere in Metro London where there are not cameras, where they are using facial recognition license plate detection, and all of these things. And they were doing this before they have 5G. They, I mean, they've been doing this for years. In China, same thing. They've, China, China is pioneering uh, these technologies even before 5G came aboard. All 5G does, 5G is a facilitator. It's a, it's a technology that en- enables increased bandwidth and faster speeds. That's all. So let's look at the fear. Like, what's the fear that might be driving some of the fi- some of the five G frenzy. So, is it fear of technology? Is it you know we we do have a lot of technology that can be um, that is, that is a little alarming, right? That for me anyway, that there's like you know all the spatial recognition software mm-hmm. um, that we're always trying to get faster. We're always you know we're always trying to sort of up our game. Is that do we think that that some of the fear is it possible that some of the fear that's driving some of the conspiracy theories around five G. I think that there's definitely some fear around it. it basically, any any time you have a sea change in technology, and that's what this represents, there's always going to be some fear around it. I think that the problem is is that we have a, a handful of yahoos who who like to um, I- engage in fear mongering and uh, basically uh, bullshit and fuckery that um, they they put these things out there with the intention of trying to stir up something. And and some there there are some people that like to trade in that. Even before the uh, the internet, there were chain letters and things like that that were warning you about this, that, and the other, and the coming end times. All this is is the modern equivalent of that. It's the same. It's the same. It's thing. just the new mark of the beast. Exactly. I mean, that's that's literally what it is, Katie. With it, it just it should be called six G. Well, six six yeah, six G. When, when six G <laughs> comes along, you you better believe that's what, what it's going <laughs> to be. <laughs> So, yeah, the first time I think here's here's what I I mean, I don't think you touched on this, but um, it was actually maybe a year ago. So this before COVID, you know, it was a thing. Um, 
what I had heard about 5G was, I think there was a guy who was like the former vice president. He was like super, he's high up executive. I want to say at Motorola, but it might've been another company. But anyway, it was it's something related to cell phone companies. Mm-hmm. And he had, he quit and he put this YouTube video out saying, warning people about 5G that he had tried to warn people at his company and they fired him for it, but he could not be a part of this because it was just, and it, he was talking more about 5G as just something that was dangerous, that it could be either something that would hurt people as far as like, you know, cause cancer or brain injuries, or I don't know something, but then, so that was the first I heard about 5G was sort of like from that. And, and I thought, well, I don't know if it's true or not, but I mean, it seems if this guy is who he says he is, that seemed like possibly a credible source, but I didn't know. And I didn't, and it didn't go any farther than that. Then a few months after that, but still before COVID, um, I had heard something about, uh, and actually I even saw a document. I mean, I looked it up and I actually found it and I can't, I couldn't find it before this, uh, before this episode, unfortunately, but at the time I looked it up and I was able to find, um, you know, something about this, that, that there was a time when, uh, maybe early 2000s when the CIA w- were experimenting on a non-lethal weapon and they were using um, frequencies, which they called 5G, uh, that were sort of crowd control frequencies that would either um, cause like a, like, a, like a riot or you know, a crowd of people protesting. It would cause them to become docile mm-hmm. um, or, or you could even turn it, they would they'd become fearful or something like that. And that seemed again like, well, maybe that's real. I don't know. But again, it was just one source. And again, I can't find it now. So I, I don't know how real it is. But then all of a sudden it became like COVID hit and it became, oh no, if 5G is causing COVID, I'm like, what? What? Like now it's just like, it's a catch all for anything. It's like chemtrails or something. Like we just, let's just blame everything on 5G now. It just makes no sense. Yeah. Now I'm, I'm looking at results. You know, what, what is, what is the end game? What, what actually is, is, you know, what comes out of this. And and now we look at most of Europe now is already on, I mean, Europe and, and the, and the far East are way ahead of us in terms of the 5g rollout. Right. And, and you're not seeing any of the, any of the things that the fear mongers have, have put out there. There, there are no, um, you know, widespread uh, mind control events. There are no widespread disease spreading events. There, there's none of that. I mean, basically, all this is is just an it's a sea change in technology, and and what it's going to mean is that, you know, basically the the holy grail of network connectivity is this ubiquitous internet. In other words, the internet that's everywhere and it's always on and it's always fast. It's never blocked, throttled, or anything like that. That's what five G represents, and and once once it's out there. It may it has the it has the possibility or the potential of replacing ground based fiber, and and that's that's the big deal. So that part sounds cool. I will say I I can I can sense I don't have this I don't have a particular fear. I'm not part of the conspiracy theory, but you know, like we said for years, oh no, no one's fooling with your camera on, you know, there's no data mining on your TV. There's no data mining on your computer or on your phone. But it turns out there is a lot of data mining. Yeah. So when we kind of go, I can see like the domino, like you go one plus one plus one somehow equals a thousand. You know, it's a, it, it can feel it can feel like a rabbit trail down. Like what's the what's the things we don't know about the technology and what it can do for us. And five G, it is like I'm grateful you explained it because it does seem like a little mysterious. Listen, if if you look back throughout history, information has been a commodity throughout history. 
And, and it's always been who can get the best information the fastest. And then once you get the information is what you do with it. How do you aggregate it? How do you collate it? How do you, how do you disseminate it? All of that. And, and so now what you have is you have all of these devices that basically are data collection agents. So now you also have uh, things like artificial intelligence and machine learning and, um, and, and high-level analytics that are able to crunch this data in real time and produce some really meaningful statistics. All it is is, is information. What it's going to mean is, is that people are going to be able to sell to you better because the, in, instead of uh, being reactive to your needs, perceived or, or, or real, they're going to be proactive. I mean, basically, you know, you'll have things that just kind of show up. That's part of that's part of how Facebook is able to advertise to you. Have you ever um, been in a room talking with someone about, um, let's say, Christmas trees? If you talk about Christmas trees and, and maybe text about Christmas trees, Facebook, you'll see an ad for Christmas trees. They're, oh yeah, that's happened to me several yeah, times. I mean, and all they're all they're doing is they're aggregating data from your device, and and part of your Facebook agreement says that you agree to allow this this data to be exchanged and to be used for whatever purpose, and 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 they're able to advertise to you. That, at, at the end of the day, that's what it is. Now it sounds kind of sinister because, hey, they're they're getting the drop on your desires before you really even you know, before you even want it. But if you think about it, that's the holy grail of advertising and marketing. Yeah. And that's, and that's why I have uh, sex toy advertisements on all my socials. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I guess. Yeah. It, it's like saying dildo will do that for you. <laughs> Great. Y'all, I'm going to open up Facebook after this. And what are the ads going to be on there now that you've said that, Matt? Well, you're welcome. Dildo, dildo, dildo. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> It's like the magic ink. Well, I mean, I mean, that's not that's not a conspiracy. But the five G are we are we kind of all kind of where we're not we affirming don't. this conspiracy in the uh, the running tally? Yeah, it's not a conspiracy. That's me. All right, that's me too. Well, it is a conspiracy. I just don't think it's real. Well, okay, sure. Yeah. We, we, okay. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't believe it. We have another unanimous no. Okay. Ah, oh, finally. All right. Holy so, crap. All right. And, all the heretics uh, agree. So all the heretics agree with that. And uh, let's uh, let's since we mentioned COVID, let's uh, and and its relation, so-called relation to to five G. Um, the COVID conspiracy is that it was. Um, I guess that it's all just been a hoax, or all the data has been made up or falsified. I think there's there's a couple of conspiracies. There's, there's a, couple. a couple of conspiracies. Right, more more. Yeah. I like live bats, and I cannot lie. Yeah, the bats <laughs> one. Yeah, yeah. Can- can we just all pause and give a salute to 2019, that crazy carefree year? Uh, I want to go back there. I want to, if I had a time it. machine, I'd go back to 2019 or 18. Or just January 2020. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. All right. This, this, this time of intense learning and global retreat, uh, we're six or seven months in. So, yeah. So, COVID, um, one, one theory, right, is that it's, all, it's not real anyway, um, that the numbers are made up. That um, what are some of the others? Well, that that it was created in a lab in China. Yeah. Um, that it's a way for the government to take control, and and the step one is getting you to wear a mask, and then that turns you into some kind of a tool or zombie. And then once they have your have taken control of you because you're wearing a mask, then I guess the next thing is to, I don't know, put a number on your forehead and stick you in a concentration camp. I don't understand. <laughs> well, and and but like so, population like that it's a planned virus and deliberately released. 
oh, yeah. um, to reduce population um, yeah. is one, like kind of an extreme, extreme version of one. And that it is um, uh, like kind of, kind of a, there's kind of overtones of a one world government. Yeah. Bill Gates is involved yeah. somehow. Oh, yeah. oh my uh, and Soros. Oh, and Soros. George Soros. Yeah. yeah. I put on, I did put on Facebook a couple of months ago. Why is everyone mad at Bill Gates? Like 20,000 comments later, I had to delete the post. Yeah. yeah. It's so so, so people have strong I, opinions. And I, I want to really acknowledge that because I know some of our listeners will. I know some people in my communities have really strong feelings about COVID. So um, I want to speak just in this section, especially with respect to all the people in my life. And we're going to, I'm going to, I am going to be talking about the ideas and kind of going down well, the rabbit hole. Well, okay. In, in, in respect of them, my wife is an RN and COVID is real. Oh yeah. I mean, I'll just yeah. say that. Yeah. Two, two close family members no. of mine have had COVID. Yeah. I, I've had, I've had several close family members and one cousin that died of it. And, and, and I know five pastors in Detroit that died of it. I mean, this is, this is real shit. And, and on top of that, there was an, there was an issue where uh, there was a mortician in New York city that basically he, he had a contract with the hospital to take, you know, to, to basically to take uh, remains from the hospital. And he was literally overrun to the point where it was like, basically he had a trailer full of decaying bodies. I mean, it's real, it was bad. And, and the thing is that this is something that's real. It's really happening. And, and, and listen, this is what I say about the mass, right? If, if you, if you don't believe that this is real, fine, fine. You know, and you want to go on about your life. Great. But just wear a fucking mask because it's just out of respect for uh, for the rest of humanity. In that, number one, if you have it, you don't give it, and then two, if you if you don't have it, you don't get it. Yeah, it's real simple. It's not rocket science. It's just a simple, you know, courtesy to humanity. Yeah. Well, here's here's what I don't get, and I unfortunately I have at least two friends. I will not name them out of respect for them, but it is. I will just admit that I really, really don't get it. Um, these are both Christian people. Um, Problem number one. And they are militant anti-maskers. I mean, they see this as a threat to their freedoms. They see this as an attack on, some of them see it as an attack on Christianity because, well, you know, that's why the, the government won't let us worship anymore in churches. They are shutting Look, down the- The, the same, the same people who will, who will say that, and I'm going to say this because this, this is something just just chaps my hide, that- the same people that will say, well, a mask is an infringement upon, upon my liberties. They are silent when black people are killed by police. So, yes. so I'm like, you know, really fuck what you say, honestly. Yeah. I, well, I, yeah. You know, and the virus is disproportionately affecting, uh, affecting black communities, affecting, uh, you know, affecting yes. um, black, many communities. Yeah, yeah. Many communities. Right. So this is, um, well, I wonder if we can kind of go down like one by one, um, like the origins of COVID. Like one of the, one of the, one of the theories is that it was started in a lab and it either mm -hmm. got out on accident or on purpose. And so like two different trains of thought, or that's like Derek said, someone ate a bat. You know what? Accidentally I could buy that. And, and I'll, and I'll tell you why, because if, 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 if someone was trying to weaponize uh, a virus, this, this could be a good candidate. The only problem with it is, is that it's not like Ebola. 
you know, Ebola is like when when you really get illegal. people who get Ebola, it was like you were going to die. I mean, you and and you yeah, weren't just going to die. You were going to die miserably. You're going to be bleeding from your eyeballs, bleeding from your asshole, bleeding everywhere. Right. Every orifice. It's really it, it was really bad stuff. And if you're going to weaponize something, you're not going to put something out here that that maybe maybe it might be fatal. Maybe it might. No, it, it, it's like when you when you get into like. Here's another conspiracy. I don't know if you guys know about the conspiracy around Lyme disease, right? And and Plum Island in New York. Well, anyway, there's um, there's a thing about that that Lyme disease was was an uh, an engineered attack. Now that if you want to make a case for something, that really does because when when you get it, there is no um, you know you might get symptoms or you might go through something. People that get Lyme disease, it really fucks them up. I mean, really bad. And 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 even people that recover, they don't recover cleanly or nicely. It's not. It, it, it's a very brutal disease. So when if you're looking at something that's weaponized, you want to make sure that the efficacy of it is really, really up there. And this isn't that. Yeah, I, that, that that's part of the the. I mean, there's a lot of reasons, but that's part of the reason why this whole thing about like depopulation. It's like, well, this disease attacks people with comorbidities. And elderly people, like if you're going to yep. depopulate, you're not going to have a disease that just takes out people who in their in their 60s, 70s, and 80s. Oh, I mean, this is just part of the theory, though, is that those people are on pensions, on social security, are on right, like like there's not enough money to cover their costs. Which yeah, I, I agree probably yeah. with that. Like social security is probably going to be insolvent at some point, but but I mean, where's the data though? That's just that's just saying a what if. I mean, we can all say what ifs. Yeah, so it's getting into the into the sort of mindset of like a deep state, like belief in a deep state, belief in a um, not quite one world government, but like be- belief that like there's sort of collusion among governments, I guess, around, you know, around these issues, around these what ifs. Like I'm not, I, I'm trying to put myself in the mindset of getting there. Oh, totally. Which is what yeah. you have to do when when trying to understand conspiracy theorists. I, I, I get it to some degree because, well, see, this is the thing about conspiracy theorists and um, this is, I mean, what I talked about on my other podcast, um, you know, shameless plug, but is that there's, there's like shreds of truth in them, which is why they're powerful is because, yeah. you know, like we're going to talk about QAnon. There is child trafficking. There is pedophilia. So when you talk about those things, people are like, yeah, of course that's, that happens. But the problem is that they take those through like 20 non sequiturs to get to their conclusion. Um, which they couldn't get to without the shreds of evidence there. So there could be shreds of truth in some of the things people are saying about COVID, but they're just taking them to to lengths that you just can't do. Well, I did call my um, my sister, who has a doctorate in nursing, and she's much more conservative than I am. She's um, so I was like, "Do you have five minutes?" She said, "Yes." I was like, "I need to know. Could like in a COVID vaccination?" She was like, "Yeah, we're nowhere near a vaccination." I said, I know, but I was like, could we, could there be like tracking devices, in the vaccination? And she paused and said, what are you talking about? <laughs> and she was like, I guess they could, people could microchip us like a microchip, a pep. I don't see how that would really be in a vaccination. And she was like, I'd be much more concerned with like data mining. If you have to be yeah. concerned with something than a vaccine that doesn't exist and has 10 competing companies, um, affecting you negatively. So, you know, here's here's something, though, that I did hear that this, I mean, it's probably a real thing. And it's something, it's one of these things where it is probably true, but it's creating a lot of fear around COVID. And I, and I just heard this the other day, 
um, they were talking about how, well, you know, it, when the vaccine comes out, when, I mean, who knows when that's going to be. But if you decided not to take the vaccine and you should have the right to refuse it, um, but even if you did, but what would happen is um, like you would not be allowed to travel to other countries because legitimately other countries might say, well, we don't want people from America to fly here if they haven't had the vaccine. Um, you might not even be able to travel to certain states like, you know, airlines might be checking your shot records and say, well, no, I'm sorry, you can't fly here or there because, you know, you're restricted. So that in itself, number one, I don't doubt that they probably will uh, restrict people's travel based on whether they have or have not taken any kind of a vaccine. But but the, see, that creates a, a fear. You know in Well, it just seems to like validate their fear that, oh, see. They're well, just trying to here's, control here's people. The They're trying to here's the know, catch keep with us it. from our freedom. That right now, there, there, you, there, are, there are countries that you can't go to if you haven't had certain vaccinations. Right. For example, if you haven't had a malaria vaccine. Exactly. You know, you can't go. You can't get you 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 could you know you got your passport, but then you have to get a visa, and the visa part of the condition of the visa is that you have to have a malaria uh, vaccine. I mean, I just got a I, I just got a um, a visa for India. And I and that was part of it. I had to prove that I had a malaria vaccine. Wait, we have a malaria vaccine? Well, it's a malaria and any malarial treatment. It's not a vaccine. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like, I want that. Uh, yeah. Malaria doesn't I, yeah. sound fun. But yeah, no, it's, it's not. It's not a vaccine. It's like basically, it, it, it's it, you have, to have evidence of having done the anti-malarial drug, right? Which are a beast if you've never done it. I've had yeah. to do it. Yeah. So, so yeah, so if you have that fear, then that fear is super valid, right? But the, the also COVID is mutating so quickly that we're I don't think we're gonna have a vaccine, a broad spectrum vaccine anytime soon. But yeah, so that's that's a real fear though, and that could that could be realized. Yep. yep. Yeah. I don't but think as, it's a conspiracy. As, as far as, it's a real as far fear. As like having having tracking devices. Um listen, as as someone who deals with with technology on a daily basis, we don't have the the sort of technology. Uh, or nanotechnology that we're able to scale to hundreds of millions of people. I mean, it's like if that that type of nanotechnology exists, it's very rare, it's very expensive, well, and it's something that that maybe could be done in you know maybe a, a particular like uh, for like Navy SEALs or something like that. You know, but but for the general populace, that it, it doesn't scale to that. And and there's but, there's no net benefit. Yeah, but can can I just say if you have a cell phone, you have a smartphone, you have a tracking device, yeah. and uh, the government can listen to yep, your conversations absolutely. if they want to. And so it's sort of like, oh no, the government's going to have a tracking device. They're going to be able to know where I'm at at any given time and listen to my conversations. And well, yep. yeah, it's called an iPhone. Yep. Yeah. So I yeah, I feel like something like COVID. It's so unknown. It's frightening because we can't see, you can see the effects of it, but you can't like see the virus, right? And so I feel like we we kind of foist all of our anxieties onto this new thing, onto this illness. Like we have all these anxieties about all this other stuff, and then it all gets kind of micro-focused or macro-focused on something like COVID. Well, so, you know, there, I mean, there's also a political payload that's involved in this too, and and that basically... All of this, all of this uh, feeds into this, um, and I don't want to pick on any group of people, but uh, Trump supporters. Sorry, uh, <laughs> <laughs> just just to pick one randomly. Just, I mean, just pick one out of the hat. You know, it, it, it basically uh, these are folks that are saying that okay, that that this exists to undo the Trump presidency and all of the work that he's doing 
and, and this, you know, I'm kind of segueing into where we're going next, but you know, the, the child trafficking and all, and, and all, all of it is, is, is something that's playing on people's fears to try to get a, a certain part of a, of a political base energized in order to uh, coalesce power. And, and at that, that's the part of it to me that, um, when I look at it from the 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 fifty thousand foot political level, that's that's when my bullshit detector goes off. Yeah, and and it's so um, American centric. I mean, this this thing is a worldwide pandemic, and so I, I mean, I don't know the the whole thing we to undermine Trump's presidency. Well, I guess the whole world can be in on it. Uh, and and speaking of which, uh, when we get to our 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 next conspiracy, which will be the last one we cover. The QAnon conspiracy, which I, I mean, I don't even know where to start with that. I know COVID plays into it. COVID is a hoax plays into it. But the Q one is for me, it's like the amalgamation of all the conspiracies, like everything is involved. And there's it's like one of those um, one of those like charts you do on the wall inside of your cabin. And you've got all these strings that are connecting all these different things. And I mean, I, I don't know what you guys know about QAnon, but it, it's it, like it, the conspiracy it, it, of conspiracies. It yeah, it's like, like lay, lay out can, the timeline for us, Matt. But but hang on for yeah, a second before it. we go there. We have to we have to take the poll. Oh yeah. Oh, the poll. Yeah. We have to take the I, poll. Where 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 do we oh stand on five G? Basically, the five G conspiracy is bullshit from my standpoint. Bullshit. Yeah. We all we all went bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. COVID. Well, COVID's a real disease. Yes. It's okay, a real so, disease. So no conspiracy <laughs> there. No conspiracy there. Yeah. Oh, it's real. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Two no two unanimous no's. smokes. This might be a record, guys. Let's see what QAnon okay, we, we, we need somebody to go for a heretic here. I mean, you know. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to get into got, the mindset so I can get there. We're holding this back is, here. This is like when people insist that I watch ancient aliens. As soon as I'm like, maybe I know I have to turn the TV off. <laughs> like the second I'm like, man, I can kind of see. I'm like, no, got it. I got to get I gotta back away. I got to back away. It's starting to work yeah, on you. See, exactly. you Eric Von Decker was right. Well, for the, for the QAnon one, I mean, it, it started as uh it started on 4chan, this um kind of Reddit type. Uh, what is it? What is it, like a forum? Almost internet forum. It's a forum for racists. <laughs> well, okay, there you go. And um, this this um, guy or this um, group of people known as Q uh, were dropping hints on on this 4chan network about uh, they had some Q level clearance. I think Q is a high level government clearance, and they had information on the fact that the Clintons and other high level government officials and Hollywood elites like Tom Hanks and Oprah apparently um, were involved in some child trafficking pedophilic ring where they were killing kids and drinking the blood to get their and adrenochrome adrenochrome yeah yeah just normal shit um so they can stay young forever (laughs) and uh trump is apparently um the the man who is supposed to undo this whole ring along with as some of them say jfk jr which uh he faked his death back in uh 99 yeah um and he's been like the man behind the behind the thing like for 20 years and he's supposed to come out as like the the new messianic figure he's like, he's like you're yeah. making so much sense so far so right, what, yeah. what, what is jesus 2.0 he's jesus 2.0 so he's we're like all on board so we could, he's coming back yeah. with the sword to yeah first of all let me say, let me say something about the whole q clearance right let's let's start with that the, yeah. q, clear, the q clearance is the top level department of energy clearance 
It's the clearance that people have to have in order to work in nuclear power plants or to work with nuclear weapons. It is it and and basically when it comes to weapons, it's only for the disposal of nuclear weapons, not for active nuclear um, silo operators and so on and so forth. Not for code. No, Q Q is not even a real. It's it's not a not a clearance like in something that you would have for NSA or CIA or or DOD or something like that because there there are levels of of secret that are way above Q clearance. But people say it, and it's it's one of those things. It's like the whole Goebbels theory of tell the biggest lie, tell it vociferously, and tell it often, and 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 people accept it as truth. And so people think that this Q clearance is some big deal, and it really isn't. It, basically, if you keep your credit tight, don't beat your wife, or or, or, or don't engage in any sexual, um, you know, peccadillos, you'll get a Q clearance. End of story. If so- you need, if you're working in the nuclear industry. The part of the theory, uh, thank you, Derek, because I actually didn't know any of that. It was um, amazing. Yeah, thank you. Um, the part of the theory where, well, hey, why are we bringing Tom Hanks into this? Tom Hanks is like a good, fun, you know, nice, well, like the nice oh, guy no. of uh, no, Hollywood. No, What's up with that? I, I, I Mr. Rogers, come on, man. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a cover. It's a cover. <laughs> Seriously. So, but but the part of the part about, um, you know, the child trafficking, the pedophilia and drinking children's blood and eating them and like all of that. So this reminds me of one of the accusations that was made against early Christians was <laughs> that they were cannibalistic yep. because of the Lord's right. Supper. They ate, Jesus, right? yeah, they ate the flesh and drank the blood. Right. And so this yep. was um, this was um, a kind of a scapegoat accusation um, made at early Christians in order to indict them um, as scapegoats. And do you know this adrenochrome thing goes all the way back to Plato and Socrates? What is it? I mean, basically, it's like it's vitamins? it's just it's a hormone that's that's secreted in the body. Um, generally, it's it's uh, expressed in younger people, and and the idea is is that basically you have these child sacrifices that are that are taking place, and billionaires are extracting the adrenochrome from the from the the dead bodies of these murdered children, and they're drinking it or injecting it or whatever, like Matt said at the beginning of the segment, to ostensibly stay young. Wait, so how old is Tom Hanks supposed to be? And I got to tell you, it's not Tom Hanks. It would be Paul Rudd because that man doesn't age. <laughs> he has not well, aged like 25 years. You know, I, I think I think that Richard Gere is a, a, a far greater, better candidate. But, you know, I, I'm, I don't want to say that. I have to back that off because I don't want to get sued for libel. But, uh, you know, I mean, you, you look at people who really look good for their age, right? And, and, and some of the, I mean, you know, you look at George Soros. George Soros looks old. Bill Gates looks old. These guys are not, they're, they're not retarding their aging in any way. By drinking children's blood. They were born in the 1800s, though, <laughs> so you don't understand. <laughs> Pretty good for their age. Well, so, yeah, so what's some of the fear that drives um, that drives the QAnon, um, conspir- the, the QAnon theory? Uh, I think one of them is, like, fear, like, we all have fear that um, innocent, vulnerable children will be, will be taken. Right? So I have... And that's a that's a total legitimate fear, like Matt said. And and I do want to just put a plug in for the episode where Matt talks about this and Apostates Anonymous, which was really good. And, <laughs> but the um, yeah, so we, we do know that pedophilia exists. We know that child that trafficking exists. Human trafficking exists. I wrote a whole book about human trafficking in the ancient world. Right. That's what that's what my dissertation is about. So we know that all of these things exist. A, they're not new. They've been going nope. on continuously for millennia without a break whether legally or illegally. 
Um, but B, I get the fear. Y'all, I get the fear. I, I have two people uh, who I'm very close to who, when they were younger, I'm not going to mention their names, but when they were younger, they were a hair's breadth from being trafficked, just a hair's breadth um, through really, you know, uh, horrific, horrific means of uh, kind of luring, luring them into a particular situation when they were young. So I know that it happens. I mean, like when I think about it, I'm like, oh my God, we were so close from never seeing them again. Um, but I don't think it was a Hollywood ring that was bringing them in. It was just people being jackass people. That's yeah. it. Yeah. That's it right there. I think, I think we don't, we as humans don't want to accept the fact that most of the time bad shit happens by people we know people who are close to us and, and, and just that people are genuine can be shitheads. Like, like, look, I mean, look at, look at when there's uh, molestation or rape, like most of the time it's someone in the family yep. or someone close to the family, same with child trafficking. And we don't want to accept, we'd rather think that it's some grand conspiracy by people we generally don't like, which is like, I mean, a lot of conservatives don't like Hollywood and we don't want to accept the fact that, Bad, like people are shitty and, 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 but, but just on their own, like bad shit happens. Like there's not a grand conspiracy to do that. And we want that explanation in order to, to, um, to kind of, well, one person made a great, uh, uh, I forget who it was. There was an article, I think it was on medium, but it's, it's almost like an RPG. It's a role-playing game. It's like a video game that we want to be involved in some sort of, um, uncovering of some grand thing and exactly. solving some great puzzle yeah. rather than just looking at the world and saying a bunch of bad people like Epstein and people who do this kind of stuff are just shitty people. You know, people, yeah, the more money they want, have, the worse it can be. They, sure. People want to believe that they have some, they have access to some special knowledge that, that right. they know something that, that other people don't. And that somehow makes them morally superior. And, and then, then there's this whole deep state cabal thing. Basically, it, the, what what people want to believe is that okay, government is just not operating on a surface. That there that there are some things that are going on that are leading us th- toward this one world government and this new world order and all of this other stuff. And honestly, you know, it, listen, if there if there was going to be one world government, I think it would be pretty easy to facilitate. You know, I mean, it, it, it's like. If if the European Union were to say, okay, we're going to take this model and we're going to export it to, say, India, and, and then maybe we'll export it to Africa, and we're going to replicate this model, we're going to develop these, these trade unions um, or, or these uh, unions of trading states and, and, and organize this and, and basically bring everybody together. And I think that they could probably do that in a generation or two. I don't think that it would be particularly difficult, but, but the thing is that, you know, we're Americans and we have to preserve our freedom. And, and, and at the end of the day, there is no real freedom. I mean, basically we're, we're all under the control. Uh, we're, we're at the behest of corporations and all of this other stuff. And, and I'm not saying that from a conspiratorial standpoint. I mean, this is just the way, the way shit works. Right. But t- to say that, that there's some deep, dark, cabal of of evil people and they're and they're working together to bring about the the government of satan and all and it's like come on y'all miss me with that bullshit (laughs) i I think there's one more element and i'm really curious what you all think about this that feeds into the QAnon, um and it's uh racism and also sexism because the fear 
Uh-huh. I think I'm right here. I think the yep. fear is that little white girls are going to be taken, violated, killed, and eaten. And it's when it's little white girls, their purity is going yep. to be violated. The purity that's or not owned by them. Or white girls going to be by big black men. Yeah. That, I mean, that's part of it. I mean, the unconscious or conscious mm-hmm. uh, fear. So I think that's uh, that's part of the racism. Yeah. And then the sexism is that it's like the girl's purity. It's it's when that's violated. It's, it's again, a continued obsession with that. Now, I don't think the I don't think that any children should be violated ever, y'all. So don't don't get me wrong. Hey, don't forget um, about feminism, Katie. Oh, right. The, the, the fear uh, that women might take over. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, there you go. Now we have a problem. Right. Uh, another. Yeah. The <laughs> feminist agenda right here, right now. Um, <laughs> stopping child trafficking. But right. Is that part of the QAnon, though? It's like when little white girls are threatened, that's when people get riled right. up. That's when all the hashtags begin. Hey, I just want to stop and say Katie Valentine for world president. Oh, God. Yes, no, God. That's campaign over. The philosopher queen. <laughs> Oh my! Well, I, I think we're my platform next episode. Honestly, that might, that might be true about anything. Like people don't give a shit until until white people are experiencing it. Like I, I mean, honestly, like it's a, it's a non-issue for for people until until white people are affected. I mean, but you know, that might be for a, a different podcast. I don't know. Damn, you yeah. win. But it's you, when you, you hear about trafficking, there. it's always sex trafficking, y'all. All trafficking. Is sex right. trafficking? Everyone who's trafficked is sexually vulnerable. Yeah. So, like labor trafficking is also sex trafficking. And I, and I mentioned yeah. this when we were talking beforehand, uh, but this was in the Huffington Post. It popped up in my in my news feed, and and it says, "No, the government did not break up a child sex trafficking ring in Georgia." This was something that happened last week, and all of the QAnon believers, the faithful, that they were all on this, and they say, "Hey." You know, you want to talk about George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, but nobody's talking about this child sex trafficking ring that was broken up in Georgia and then come to find out it was bullshit. Well, and, and that's just that's just the thing about this QAnon thing is it takes away from the actual bad shit that's going on in the world. And it, it like it's almost it's it, it just dis- distracts us from the actual trafficking that's going on. Um, but I, I wish we could keep this conversation going. But um we're going to have to wrap it up sometime, but but fear not. We have a website, so you can go to our website. Oh, hold on for and- a second. Poll, please. Don't. Man, I need my oh. chart to be filled oh. out. Well, I thought, we were, I thought we were all in agreement. No. It's a no from me, dog. No. Fuck fear. no. <laughs> no. Oh, my gosh. This whole episode. This whole it's, episode. A, it's a sea of no's on my chart in front of me. Well, here's the deal, though. If you are listening and you disagree with us, you can actually leave comments on our podcast episode. So you go to heretichappyhour.com. There is a way to com- comment on the uh, the episodes that we have, and uh, yeah, check that out if you disagree with us. Also, if you if you want to get some Heretic Happy Hour merch, we also have that. We're not like Wayfair. We're not going to hide kids in 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 things and ship it out to you. So don't worry, y'all. So we no, got no twelve thousand dollar merch, right? No, 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 no twenty twenty something dollar t shirts. Not not ten thousand dollars sweatshirts. You know. Well, y'all, the day that our podcast episode airs and the conspiracy theories in our Facebook groups. I always put a poll before you listen, who's going to believe what? So you've already heard this one, but we have one more to go. So come on over to heresy after hours. You can participate in the poll for our final installment of the conspiracy theories. We got a lot of heretics over there. People talk about really fun things. Come and join the conversation. It is open for everyone. 
Heresy After Hours. And we also have a Facebook group that is exclusive for our patrons. And they they ask the really tough questions. We love to interact and, um, and talk with our patrons in that group. So if you become a patron, you will have exclusive access to that one too. And yes, um, did someone say Patreon? Yes, I believe we did. And we do have a Patreon page. And that is where if you cannot get enough of the Heretic Happy Era podcast, and who can? Really? I mean, it's almost impossible. You can get bonus episodes, bonus interviews, so much cool stuff. We're even adding now a new level where I think at the $25 level, uh, each of us is going to take a week and record um, one like video, basically a bonus video uh, every week for people at the $25 level and above um, just to riff on different things, talk about stuff we didn't get to talk about on the podcast. Um, and that's all yours at that level. But we, you know, we've, we've actually changed up some of our levels a little bit on Patreon. So go check it out. Patreon.com slash heretic happy hour support us. Uh, we love you. We appreciate you. And we are loading that thing up with so much cool stuff. You'll be so glad you did. Yes. And if you enjoy this podcast, we highly encourage you to like subscribe, share, and most of all rate us. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes, because if you don't, there is 5G technology that is tracking you, and we're watching you. We got eyes on you, pal. (laughs) Rate this podcast five stars, damn it. Watch out. 5G, coming near you. Coming for you.